Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. This morning is our fourth uh, Sunday in our sermon series called The Hope Effect. And in this series, what we're looking at is how to be people of greater hope. And it's, uh, it's more of a practical series of uh, for us, what are different practices, what are different things to, to reflect on, to consider, so that we might be people of greater hope, because we know that hope changes everything. And one thing that's helpful for us is to acknowledge that there are two different lenses that we might be tempted to see life through. And uh, this first lens uh, is the fact that life happens to you. And these, by the way, these lenses change if you're someone of hope or not. This first lens is that life happens to you. So we're a play thing here in this world, and life happens all around us, and we're like a sponge. We just take it in, and we're a recipient to this. We're on this stage of life, and someone else has already written the script. And then the second lens is that you can create change, that you've been given, God-given agency to create change. God's given you the ability to be able to make meaningful change here in this world. And this really determines how you see life and how you experience hope. Because if you think that you're just here as a a recipient of life, you're going to live one way. But if you think that God has put you here to change your environment, then that's going to change not only how you see the world, but how you live. A perfect example of this is this man named Viktor Frankl. He was a German psychiatrist, and uh, he was actually lived uh, during Hitler's reign, and uh, he was taken um, as, a, as, as he was from the Jewish um, community. He was taken, and he was put in a concentration camp. And one of the things that he noticed as a, psych, as a psychiatrist was there, he began to study in his environment, why is it that some people are giving up hope, and why is it that even here in a concentration camp, people persevere? And what he came to is this idea, much like what we just heard. And listen to this quote. The experiences of camp life show that man does have a choice of action. Everything can be taken from a man, like it was for the people in the concentration camp. They lost their family, their roles in their their community, their wealth, lost it all, but one thing can't be taken, but one thing, and he calls it the last of the human freedoms, the, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. What he's saying is that you can take everything from someone, but you can't take away their ability to respond in every situation. And there were always choices to make. Every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision. A decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you'd become a plaything of circumstance. Viktor Frankl, in this book, Man's Search for Meeting, what, what he was saying is that we have the ability, the agency from God, to respond in ways that can create change. And even 
Even in a concentration camp, he saw how people chose to respond with beauty and with hope, with compassion for one another, and that life even bloomed there. That's the last of the human liberty, is our ability to respond. And that gives us hope. The reality is that God has put in within each of us abilities and strengths that we have been invited to use in this world. And this week we're talking about how we can use those strengths in this world. How we can be people of creating meaningful change. And so just, I just want to begin with this basic premise. You might not believe it, but God has given every single one Every single person in this room, gifts, abilities, and strengths. Not just by happenstance, but God has put those strengths inside of you for a purpose. That is uniquely tied to who you are. Maybe you love details and numbers. Maybe you love people. You, you love being around people. Some of you, you're artistic. Some of you, uh, you love an Excel spreadsheet, and I don't understand why. But when we start learning how to to fashion our life around our strengths, we will grow as people of hope. And it might not seem like an obvious connection of playing to our strengths, using our strengths in this world, and growing as people of hope, but I really do believe there's a strong connection. Because when we use our strengths, when we are using our abilities, we grow in hope because first, it connects us with our purpose. You've been gifted for a purpose, It's not just by chance that you have the gifts and the abilities, that God has placed that inside of you so that you can be someone of purpose. And when we start living out our strengths, something incredible happens. I want to introduce you to a word that you might not know. It's the word charis, which is a beautiful word. We see it all throughout the New Testament, charis. And I love the fact that it can have three different meanings. It can mean joy, gifts, and grace. And you would think, how can that all be tied together? How can that be one word? Well, the reality is, is that perhaps our joy is tied to us using our gifts. That when we are people who are exercising our strengths and our God-given abilities, we experience delight. We are people of joy. And by the way, this is all a gift from God. This is all a grace from God. And when we live this out, we begin to live in this flow And what happens as we start living in this flow is we start being people of hope because we are people who are in it, we are tied to our joy and our gifts, tied to this grace. So when we live out our strengths, it increases our joy because it connects us with our purpose. Secondly, it creates meaningful meaningful community. Uh, We were created to be in community, and what God is so good at doing is bringing a diverse group of people together so that together we can bring our own strengths and abilities so that we could be stronger as one. So Paul said this in Romans 12, 4 through 6, for just as each of us has one body with different members of our body, so our hands, our feet, our legs, our arms, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each belongs to all of the others, that we are created so that we belong to one another. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us, each of us. 
You need every part of the body to function. And when we're playing to our strengths, we realize that everybody is valuable. We need everybody. This morning, honestly, is a great example of this. Like there, You might not notice this, but behind the scenes, to be able to pull off this, this morning, a trailer pulls up at 8 a.m., a little before 8 a.m., someone pulls a trailer, a whole crew of people unload this. We have Matt back there. He's making the slides happen. Brennan's back there making my, sound, my, my voice sound really bassy and beautiful right now. Jason's back there running the lights. Did you all know that there's somebody back in that room? He's eating Cheetos right now and <laughs> running the lights. There are people in the kids' area. We have an awesome band that was playing. Now, just imagine if one of these people didn't show up. And how this morning would be different. Now also imagine, like, not only do we need everybody, but everyone has their own gifts. Imagine if we just kind of rotated the chair one. So now Jason's playing, leading worship. Are you ready for that, Jason? He's ready for it. Brennan, how, how are you with kids? We have a couple of diapers that need changed. You know, like, we are all here. We're all tied together. We all have our gifts and our abilities because when we live out our gifts, we experience the beauty of community. And so when we don't play to our strengths, when we, we hide them behind us, when we bury them, we're not experiencing the joy of community. And also the community suffers too, because it needs you. And the third reason why our gifts, our living to our strengths, increases our hope is because it changes the world. Yes, that sounds extreme. But I think we need to kind of have a little bit more clarity on why we have been put here. Using your gifts is one of the best ways to change your environment. It's because God wants you to make a difference. God wants this world to experience the joy and the hope that's only found in him. And his primary way of doing this is through you. It's, it's through you. It's through people that God has given gifts and abilities so that we can walk through this life as an expression of the mercy of Jesus who wants this world to reflect who God is. So when we use our strengths, we're able to see this change in this world. In this series, we have looked at each different week, we've looked at a different person and how a different person demonstrates this uh, idea of how to grow in hope. And this morning, uh, we're just briefly we're going to look at the person of Timothy. And it's funny because Timothy is not really a strong character in the New Testament. We don't see Timothy all that much uh, in action, but what we do have is two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And in these two letters, we get to see who Timothy was, his struggles, his personhood, his little nuances. And it's a beautiful picture of how we might play to our strengths, how we might grow in hope by using our strengths. This is what we know about Timothy, that Paul met Timothy in one of his journeys. He encountered Timothy, and he noticed that Timothy was really gifted, Secondly, we know that Timothy was a very young man. He, uh, thirdly, he was Jewish. His, his mother is Jewish, and his father was Greek, uh, which kind of is like, okay, cool. But in that culture, in that day and age, that was something that really, that really hindered uh, what Timothy could do. And it, it was uh, an identity put on him by his society of coming from a Jewish mother and a Greek father and so uh, he was pigeonholed in many ways. But as we saw here is that uh, Timothy's mother came to this encounter with Christ and, and believed and had great faith. Uh, don't you love the fact that even in biblical times, a grandmother and a mother are named Eunice and Lois? 
I mean, that sounds like a grandmother's name today. Um, Lois. We're pregnant with a daughter. I'm going to float the idea of Lois by Jen later on today. Um, so there are women of great faith. Uh, but what's, what Paul noticed in Timothy, he was deeply gifted, that Timothy was deeply gifted, and he wasn't using his gifts. And so what Paul did is Paul gave Timothy this huge, huge, huge gift that Paul took Timothy underneath his wings. And I want you to listen to what Paul did. We see this in all of his letters, that Paul prayed for Timothy nurtured Timothy, cared for him, gave him challenges, released him, taught him. What does that sound like? It sounds like a parent. And you'll even read in First and Second Timothy, he'll, he'll write to Timothy and say, oh, my son, I wish that you could see. Uh, and so I just want to just pause for one second to say, uh, I know for Mother's Day and Father's Day, it can be a wound for some of us. And that's just, it's just reality. Um, and I just want to say that you, you don't have to bring a child into this world to make a difference. Just like what Paul did with Timothy, you can make a difference in someone's life without bringing them into this world. And I think what matters to God is not who you bring in this world, it's who you help raise. And so I just want to speak this into the, our community that there are, there are youth, there are children who are in desperate need of you. And so perhaps the gifts that you might have. You might want to be a spiritual parent. And if that's you, I would love to visit with you. I was uh, contacted by someone, even a, a nonprofit here in Austin, and they said, we have, we have around 20 at-risk youth that we're looking for mentors. Do you think, you think your church would be interested? And I said, I think we would be. So if that's you, I'd love to visit with you about that. Um, what we see here is that Paul was passionate for Timothy to release his gifts in this world. Uh, he was a gifted person, and Paul saw those gifts, and he wanted Timothy to l- live them out. But the, Timothy had a problem, and Timothy's problem might be similar to a problem that you have, uh, that I know I have experienced in my life, and it's a problem that debilitates us. It cuts uh, us short. It, it, it severs our wings. We're not able to be who we're created to be. And the problem is timidity. And this is a real problem. Timidity is dangerous. Listen to Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. The spirit that God put inside of you is not that of timidity, to play it small, to play it safe. But God gives us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. What Paul is saying is that, Timothy, what I'm seeing in you is that you are being timid. And what God has done inside of you is to make you powerful, loving, and disciplined. Paul saw more in Timothy than Timothy saw. We don't know exactly why he was timid, why he played it small, but here are a couple reasons. One, remember he was young. Um, 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul speaks to this. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Isn't that a great word for our young people? Young people right here. We have some friends from Covington here this morning. I'm so glad you guys are here. I just want you guys to hear uh, this world might be like looking down on you a little bit because you're just, what, 13? What do you know? I just want you to know that God is not waiting for you to grow up to make a difference in this world. Like it's here and now. Don't let people look down on you because you're young. Be powerful, be loving, be self-disciplined. That's God's work in your life. And this world needs you now. 
so Timothy might have played it small because he was young, maybe because he didn't have his place, because his mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, and mother converted to, to a, a life with Jesus. So maybe he didn't feel like he had a home, a people. Maybe that is why he played it timid. Or who knows what other lies that Timothy was dealing with. But the work that Paul wanted to do in Timothy's life was to release those strengths, to release those abilities in this world. And so like a good instructor, he called them out again and again and again. Use your strengths. An example of this, I love this uh, a movie called King's Speech. Have you ever seen this movie? It's a, it's a historical work about this man named Prince Albert who was, was set to take the crown because his brother stepped down from the crown because uh, he fell in love with an American, which is always dangerous. Um, and this was, the problem was that this was a critical time because England was entering into war. And he knew, Prince Albert knew that England needed a strong leader. But he was debilitated by timidity because he had a stuttering problem and he couldn't speak. And so his wife hired a speech therapist and on the day, the day leading up to his coronation where he's going to get uh, his crown, it's discovered that the speech therapist wasn't a real doctor. And so watch this video clip. Lock me in the tower. I would, if I could. On what charge? Fraud. With war looming, you've saddled this nation with a voiceless king. You've destroyed the happiness of my family, all for the sake of ensnaring a star patient you couldn't possibly hope to assist. It'll be like mad King George III. It'll be mad King George the Stammerer, who let his people down so badly in their hour of need. What are you doing? Get up, you can't sit there, get up! Why not? It's a chair. No, it, that is not a chair, that is, that is, that is St. Edward's chair. People have that carved their names on it. chair is the seat on which every king it's held and queen... It's by a large rock. That is the stone of Schoon, you are, are trivializing oh, everything. You trivialize... I don't care you, how many royal listen assholes have sat Listen to me, listen to me! Listen to you, by what right? By divine right, if you must, I am your king. No, you're not, you told me so yourself, you said you didn't want it. Why should I waste my time listening to Because you? I have a right to be, no, and I have a voice! Yes, you do. You have such perseverance, Bertie. You're the bravest man I know. You'll make a bloody good king. All right. Lock me Isn't in that an awesome scene? I would, if I could. It's even better the second time. <laughs> this scene's all incredible for me because it just it moves someone from a place of timidity where they've shut down into a place where they acknowledge that I have a voice, that God has given me a voice, an ability to, to live this thing out. And I love what, the, the, what he says to him. You are the bravest person I know. Bravery is not the fact that you don't have fear in you. It's because it, you are using your gifts in spite of the fear that you might experience. And for him, that's what he experienced. He was moved from timidity to action. And that will lead us to hope again and again and again. So my question for you today is, 
What's your timidity level? Where in your life do you experience timidity? Where are you holding back? Because what I know is what God wants to do is to send hope and power where there once was timidity. It's for that you could see the fact that you have a voice, you have strengths and gifts and abilities, and for you to release this into the world. This is why timidity is so dangerous. Timidity and hope can't coexist. They will constantly battle with one another because timidity shackles where hope sets free. Timidity paralyzes where hope emboldens. Timidity breathes death while hope breathes life. Timidity closes in on itself while hope sends people out courageously. So we need to take an honest look at where have I allowed timidity to take root in my life? Where have I allowed myself to play it timid? And by the way, Christians might be even more uh, susceptible for this because we think that timidity and humility are really close to one another, right? Oh, who am I? Who am I to do this? Why would I? No, I'm sure God's going to use someone else. Almost wear that as a virtue when in fact it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's, It's timidity. It'll hold you back. And how does God move us from a place of timidity to a place where we use our gifts? 2 Timothy 1.6. Uh, Paul is speaking to Timothy once again. And he's saying to him, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What we see in this verse is two different things. The strengths and the abilities that God has given us are gifts from God. This is not from our own achievement. This is not from our own uh, striving. That we have been given gifts from God that God has placed inside of us. So this is something that when we are denying, we are denying the work of God in our life. But the powerful thing is for, for us is that we are called to fan into flame this. That there's like a personal aspect to it. There's like a personal responsibility to take these gifts that we've been given and learn how to practice them, to fan them into flame, to to not squelch them, to not hide it out, but to let it exist out in this world. Leo Biscaglia said that your talent is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. What you do with it is your gift back to God in, in ways of saying just words of gratitude. So I just want to end by being very practical. Some of you might go, this is a great talk, but how am I supposed to know what my strengths are? Where are my gifts? And so I just want to give you a couple practical tools. First step, if you don't know, is a process of discernment, to discern this. I know this is a very churchy word. It just means figuring it out, right? Uh, a process of discerning what your gift might be. 1 Corinthians 12:1 says, Paul said to the church of Corinth, now about spiritual gifts, I, do, I don't want you to be unaware. Our fact, the fact that, I don't think God wants us to be unaware of the gifts that, uh, that he's put inside of us. So there's different ways for you to discern that. One is that you look back in your past. Where in my life did I feel like I came to life? Where did I feel like I was really used well in this world? And you look back at your life and go, all right, where else was my battery just depleted? Like I just knew I was not in the right seat. I was not in the right place. That's one way to discern it is to look at your past. Second, there's like tools and gift 
uh, assessments. There's even a website in the back of your, uh, your sermon guide that you can fill out. Those are okay. I don't like them because they're going to try to pigeonhole you into being a type of person when you are uniquely made. And one of the greatest ways for you to discover uh, your gifts are ask those people around you. Your community is one of the best ways for you to discover your gifts. Ask the people around you, what do you see me doing well? Where do you see me coming to life and flourishing? And ask the people around you, and they'll help point out what that is. And they'll also maybe help point out what you're not good at, too, if you want to ask them for that. The second thing is to explore it. Take, take those ideas of what you might be good at and start to explore it. Start using it in this world and look for confirmation. It's almost like walking with a, a spiritual antenna going, is this who I am? Am I coming to life? Look at your battery and your affections. Is this depleting me or is this giving me energy? Like for Jen and I, we're very differently wired. And so for me, I can tell like uh, that when at, at the end of hosting a party, I'm, my battery's going. I'm thinking, all right, when are we going to do this again? Are we going to do this tomorrow night? Are we going to have people back over tomorrow night? And she's like, oh, just the idea of cleaning everything again. But for her, she loves organizing. She walks through Target in the row where it has highlighters and folders, and it's like just coursing through her veins is this like, yes! She's ready to tackle somebody because of a highlighter. We're just, we're wired differently, and this might be something for you. You might love fixing things physically with your hands. You might... But the idea of sitting and listen, listening to someone share their problems for you is like, ugh. But you're wired differently. Some of us, we are wired to be with people. Some of us are wired to, to be in details. You know, it's, there's all different things. Those are your gifts and your abilities. So start exercising them and notice them, how you experience life with that. Eric Liddell from uh, the great movie Chariots of Fire, I love his quote when he talked about why he run, ran. He, he ran in the 1924 Olympics. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel God's pleasure. That's uni- uniquely tied to him. When I run, I don't feel God's pleasure <laughs> at all. I end up tasting my lunch and looking if I can get an Uber home. <laughs> so we're all uniquely wired for a purpose. And so you need to take, take a account of that. You need to take account of that and start walking through life and looking for that. And then finally, um, after you have discerned it, after you have explored it, you need to dedicate yourself to it. You need to look at your gifts and start figuring out how can I really create a life where I am exercising these gifts more and more. And you start dedicating yourself to it. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 15, Paul said to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. That just means other people saw it, saw it too. They confirmed it. Paul said to Timothy, Be diligent with these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so others could see your progress. When we dedicate ourselves to our strengths, not only will we grow in hope, but these strengths will be strengthened and these abilities will grow. We fan them into flame. And the end goal is not that we would just be people of greater hope and we would know our strengths. Our end goal is that we would do this for the sake of others that we would give our lives up for the sake of others. Paul finishes his letter to Timothy 
In 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 7, saying this, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love that idea of being poured out like a drink offering, fighting the good fight, finishing the race, keeping the faith. God has empowered you so that you, at the end of your life, you could look back and go, God has given me gifts and abilities, and I've used them well. I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. Friends, fight timidity. Acknowledge where God's given you strengths, and then live them out with great courage, because I know God will use it. Let's pray together.